I think of back in the day when someone's putting their name on something, their reputation is worth everything. So it better be the best thing that they could build that day. That's how I approach my work, you know, just trying to make them like they used to. And I think that really resonates with people. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Baloo. And boy, we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is one of the leading custom knife makers in North America. His work has caught the attention of none other than the one, the only Joe Rogan, who after he goes out hunting and shoots elk, puts a plate of meat out there for all of us to see, along with one of Mike Jones's knives there to cut that meat and get it ready for eating. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Mike Jones. Welcome to the show, Mike. <laughs> Thanks very much. That's, uh, that's a heck of an intro. <laughs> yeah, you bet, brother. You bet. So listen, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm a bit of a knife nut myself. I collect a lot of knives. And uh, you obviously do some incredible work as one of the top knife makers out there. So tell us your backstory, man, because the person listening to my show, they want to listen to you. They want to learn from you. But before they can open their hearts and minds to you, they got to get to know you. So how'd you get to become the great Mike Jones? Yeah, no problem. Um, well, first of all, thanks for uh, for having me on. This is uh, cool. I don't often get to sit in uh, in front of a computer in my line of work and and chat with people. So um, this is fun. Uh, yeah, I was um, I've been through a, a number of odd jobs through my life. Um, finished schooling for uh, actually for for machining, which actually uh, ended up being related to knife making, just working with metal and metallurgy and that sort of thing. So I actually had sort of a a back door into some of the some of the metallurgy part of uh, knife making, but uh, I uh, after school I lived in Whistler for a little while, Whistler, BC, and uh, it was supposed to be a year turned into a decade. <laughs> and then uh, you know there, in order to try and keep having keep having fun and and living there for the reasons you're supposed to be there, I picked up all kinds of work doing construction. Uh, commercial painting and that sort of thing. And, um, I was always good at, you know, just working with my hands and, um, just tactile jobs in that sort of field. And then, uh, after, after a little while, you know, we weren't, uh, we were working more than we were playing in Whistler. And at that point you got to get out. So we moved up North up here to uh, the middle of central BC. And, uh, I just, I was kind of doing the same sorts of things, scrambling here and there, doing a little bit of construction, um, and, uh, had a lot of spare time and, um, you know, I just, uh, I watched a video one day of, uh, someone making a knife. It just happened to kind of pop up on my YouTube feed and watch the video back then there was yeah a dozen maybe videos of how to make knives. And now there's thousands of them. Everybody's got how to's out there. And, um, so there were only a couple and they weren't very good, but it, you know, it lit the fuse. And so I tried it out. It looked pretty 
accessible. Um, I had some tools in my little dusty shed and uh, I banged one out and it was really terrible, but it was uh, <laughs> sort of, yeah, it was, it, it was a thing. It was a real actual knife that I could hold in my hand. And then, and you, you know, made it. And I made it. That was the big thing. You know, I've always wanted to make things ever since I was a kid. I was always stealing my dad's tools and taking stuff apart and turning it into other stuff. And, um, and so now I, once I made that first knife, I realized any shape that I can draw onto paper, I can turn it into a real thing. And then, then it was just like gangbusters. You know, I was, I had a whole book of little sketches of really silly ideas and things. And some of them I, I made into real knives and it was just so cool that I could make my idea into a real thing. And, um, and that was it. And I, I took off from there. I kept, uh, you know, evenings and weekends, I was still working. I was commuting about an hour and 15 minutes at a town for work. Uh, I was timber framing at the time, which was, you know, it was fun. It was doing the same sort of thing, but then, it was a long way away and we had a newborn and then, uh, it just, uh, things with knife making, we were getting a little bit busier, a little bit busier. And eventually, uh, the decision was made to, you know, try this thing full time, quit my job. Uh, and, and, uh, luckily it's been working out so far. I'll tell you what, man, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So how long did it take for you to go from a guy who just made a knife for himself to having the audacity in your own mind to go, I think I could sell one of my creations and someone will give me money for it. To, uh, I, I think I made, I think I made knives for about a year. Like I say, just evenings and weekends, giving them away to friends, just like anybody that I could get one into their hand. I wanted to try it out. You know, that's the best kind of R and D is just give it to chefs, hunters, you know, people who camp a lot, anything that any of those people that I could get, into their hand and just say, go and beat this thing up and, you know, and try it out. Let me know how it works. Let me know what you think. Give me some sort of feedback. Uh, cause I can only do so much myself. Um, so I probably did that for about a year. And then after that, I think, uh, you know, I was asking people for like 50 bucks, you know, just to cover some of the materials. And cause I, I honestly didn't think that my work was worth someone giving me their hard earned money for, you know, I, I knew the value of a dollar from coming from my own background. So, uh, I was very conscious about what I was asking from somebody and what I was providing for that. So for a long time, I didn't want to ask anything cause it, it, you know, that brought a lot of pressure, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, after a little, uh, it was probably about a year of, you know, $50 here and there from friends. And then, uh, and then people started asking me for knives and ordering custom stuff that, you know, I, I saw a knife like this, or I've never seen a knife like this, think you can make it or, or you know, things like that. And very slowly, um, being very careful to make sure that, you know, my quality went up as I sort of bumped the price up a little bit. Um, it, it just, yeah, it slowly kind of got there. And then, uh, four years, I believe into kind of doing it part time is, is when I quit my job and, and, and yeah, went, went for it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, um, tell me a little bit about how the heck did Joe Rogan find out about your knife, brother? <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's been, that was, uh, so fortunate, obviously, uh, for that to come through. There was, um, a, a local guide outfitter who, I guess Joe hired him to go out on a hunt. Um, 
Joe came up here. He's, uh, he, he came up to central BC. They went on a moose hunt. Joe came with, there was a guy writing an article for Peterson's hunting. So he came up with the, the author and a photographer whole deal. Um, this guy, outfitter, Mike Hawkridge, who's since become a good friend, uh, took him out, put him on this big bull. Joe made a good shot and they, uh, they ended up getting this amazing photograph of Joe. Who's, I guess he's not real tall. He's, no, you know, he's, he's a thick dude, but he's not, he's, he's kind of short. So he's holding this leg of this Canadian moose, which is just enormous on his it shoulder. Is. And they got that on the, the cover of the magazine. It turned out really cool. So, uh, as a thank you for that, um, Joe did something super nice for Mike and his wife. And then, um, as kind of, a, a uh, to reciprocate on that, Mike wanted to get a hunting knife made custom made by somebody local to BC. Uh, one of his guides, um, Sean happened to have run across my Facebook page just, um, so totally randomly. And, uh, so he sent him to me and Mike got in touch and we were chatting and then he found out that he only lives like a half an hour away from me. He thought, you know, anybody from BC is good, you know, and, and he <laughs> happened to find me and I, I live real close. And so we, uh, yeah, we did that thing and got a knife to Joe and Joe loved it, which was really great. And, um, and since then I've had a, a little bit of interaction with him. Uh, he's, he, he's, I've sent him a couple more knives and stuff like that. And he's been uh, unbelievably supportive. Um, I mean, the guy's got to be one of the busiest humans on the planet. And, uh, you know, he's taken the time to post a couple of photos here and there. And the influence that that has just through his social media is, uh, is mind blowing. And I mean, he even, I sent him a t-shirt and he wore it during the interview, his second interview with Elon Musk, which was just yeah, like, yeah, that's so cool, man. That was, yeah. I mean, I just looked at that. Like, you mean Elon had to look at my t-shirt for three hours, you know? So okay. was, uh, Elon, Elon was probably token up, bro. He was all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got enough on his mind. He doesn't even know it. Yeah. So, uh, Joe's been uh, unbelievable and effectively uh, to my business, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty, that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'll tell you what, I found out about you by watching one of Joe's posts, right? Like when he posts stuff about hunting and knives and guns, I get into that stuff. I listen to some of the episodes on his podcast, but what I really, really get into is when he talks about hunting knives and guns. Cause like I'm into that kind of stuff myself in a big way. Like I'm, I'm a huge knife guy. Um, so this is my, this is my regular everyday carry. It's a ZT, uh, 0562 hinderer. I love this puppy. And nice. uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. Really, really fun to carry. I got about 80, 90 knives myself. Um, Perfect. I've interviewed a lot of knife makers on the show. Um, one of my favorite all time interviews was with Ernest Emerson of Emerson, of Emerson knives. Uh, are you okay. familiar with Ernie Emerson and his work? So he was a machinist too, like you before he got into knife making. Right. So, and then he started making custom knives and then, before you know it, some dudes came to him and said, hey, uh, Ernest, we understand that you, you make knives. And they said, we're underwater welders and we need this type of knife. Can you make this knife for us? And he'd never made a knife like that, but he said, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. He said, yes. yes. So, so anyways, he went and he did it. And then, you know, he made a few and he gave it to them. And, and, and then they, they, they used them. They came back. They said, okay, Ernest, we haven't been entirely honest with you. We're not actually underwater welders. We're U.S. Navy SEALs. This is the first folding knife that's made for SEALs. We had you make us the first tactical folding knife for the Navy SEALs. 
So Ernie wow. Adams, the inventor of the tactical folding knife for the Navy SEALs. So I actually just ordered from Warriors and Wonders, Blades Canada out in Vancouver. I ordered yeah. this beautiful Ernest Emerson police utility knife. This is one of his fixed blades, but I'll tell you, man, that guy is, is great. He just, he's spectacular. He makes some incredible, incredible tools. And his story was pretty cool. But I thought it was cool that you were a machinist and he was a machinist before you both got into custom knife making. Yeah, it's a big, it's a, it's a great background. I mean, you got to know a lot about metal. And uh, I mean, I, I, I did a little bit. I mean, I went through school for it and everything, but um, it, you definitely, it helps to have that foundation in metallurgy for, for sure to know exactly what you can get out of a blade. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So um, you've been making these really, really cool blades and I'm looking forward to getting one of your blades. Uh, I, I really like the idea of having one of, one of those custom Damascus ones that I saw on Instagram, man. They look, they look pretty tripped out, man. They're awesome. Uh, There's one I'm working on right now. Oh man, that thing is a thing of beauty. One of the things that I really, really love about interviewing knife makers is they all tend to be pretty cool guys, down to earth guys. You know, even Ernie, he owns a $25 million company, but he's the coolest down to earth guy you're ever going to meet, right? And his thing with knives is he also is into knife fighting in combat sports. So he, he worked with Dan Inasante, who worked with Bruce Lee back in the day. Dan was uh, one of uh, Ernie Emerson's instructors. So he, he started learning how to, how to, how to do balisong kind of knife fighting. And then he made his first balisong. That was kind of his first knife that he made is he made his own balisong. And he said, it was a piece of crap, but hey, it was a balisong and I didn't have to buy it in the store. It cost me a lot less than if I had, had to buy it in the store. I couldn't afford to buy it in the store back in the day. I just thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, you can't uh, you can't buy those things in Canada either. No, you can't. You can't. Those are those are U.S. Uh, knives only. That's for darn sure. Okay, or in Mexico. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true too. So, so look, tell me a little bit about your vision, your philosophy for knife making. What is it about how you do it that sets you apart from some of the other knife makers out there? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a couple of things. Um, I've always been, I feel like I've always had a bit of an eye for uh, aesthetically pleasing proportions and just lines, the way that lines flow. When you look at a knife, to me, I look at it uh, initially two-dimensionally, like probably because that's how I draw them out. But um, <laughs> but I look at it as, I mean, we'll take this one for as, as an example. So uh, sorry again to people who are only listening, but, um, I look at this and I, I have to see things. It, it just has to be like, I say, aesthetically pleasing. Like I want to, I want to look at it. I want to see that the dimensions of the handle match line. They're smooth and, and it all just, there's nothing that's just, uh, subconsciously really, you know, offensive, I guess, to the eye, um, down to pin placement, exactly where those pins are sitting in the handle. Um, they're not too close to any of the edges, that sorts of those kinds of little things. Um, I look at lots and lots of other knives as I'm sure you do. And just things, there's little things like that, that just kind of, that sit kind of weird with me, like where a pin is sitting in a knife or, or just like the shape of a tip or things like that, that just, uh, that just irk me. <laughs> and so I, yeah, yeah. I feel like, uh, I, I feel like those details of my knives, um, probably, uh, people seem to like, and then, um, and then just kind of my whole philosophy. Um, actually the, the, the slogan that I came up with 
for my company was making them like they used to. Because anything, mm. anytime something sucks, anytime you know a piece of junk that you paid a lot of money for breaks, first thing you think is, oh, they don't make them like they used to. And what does that mean? It doesn't. It, it doesn't mean, you know, it's the, you know the, the the materials or the tools that the people are using, but it's the the ethic of the person that made the thing. It's just back. My I I think of back in the day when someone's if someone's putting their name on something, they're um, their reputation is worth everything to them. And so if their name is on it, it better be the best thing that they could build that day. And that's kind of how I approach my work. Um, you know, just trying to make them like they used to. And I think that really, uh, that really resonates with people. Uh, you know, I tell you, I like, I like the aesthetics of your knives. They, they are gorgeous. And, you you seem to have a flair for making a, the type of handle that a hand would fit around nicely. You know what I mean? There, there aren't any of the so-called hot spots. Like, oh my God, that's a weird place for me to hold my knife. It's one of the things I like about my ZT here is this thing fits in my hand just perfectly. There's there's yeah. nothing wrong. Even the clip, the way the clip's designed over here on this puppy, it, it's just, it doesn't bother my hand. It doesn't like, oh my God, I'm just getting into it. And then there's some pretty expensive knives I bought. Like, like I'm talking from, you know, top tier knife makers that have hotspots on the handle. Right. And, and those are the kinds of things that some knife makers don't pay as much attention to. So it's, it's pretty clear you do. And you also, um, at least for me, it's a little unusual focus on, uh, kitchen knives and hunting knives, you know, and I, I, I don't know a lot of people who are knife makers who kind of like, limit their focus to to that arena the truth of the matter is my kitchen knives are knives that i bought from you know a store like a canadian tire or or, or the bay and i mean they're fine but they're certainly not spectacular kitchen knives and i've wanted to buy a really tremendous chef's knife you know and and that would be a great thing for me to have and i've been thinking to myself yeah i want to get me a mike jones uh, kitchen knife, man, to have that in my kitchen to start using that to cut my meat with it. I think that'd be a fantastic thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for pointing at the um, ergonomics and the importance of ergonomics. That's something that I, I really try and focus on. Uh, that's something that's always been paramount to me is that uh, the thing is comfortable to work with for a long period of time. Like you say, if you got hot spots or if you're trying to grip something funny, your hand fatigues, you're not going to be able to use that thing. So if you need to clean out a bear or a moose, or if you're chopping up a, you know, a whole roast, prepping a whole bunch of food or something like that, if you start to get fatigued in your hand or you get, like you say, you start getting blisters and stuff, you're putting that knife down, you're not picking it up again. So that's something that I've really always focused on is, uh, is really looking at the shape of a hand as it's closed and, and what that, I, I mean, I've gone as far as taking, um, some of my kids Play-Doh and just squeezing nice. it and then looking at, you know, just some of the shape that comes out of that you know the palms swell and that sort of thing and like the details that you're showing off in your where your clip in your in your folding knife there sits in your palm so it's not at a pressure point um those things yeah super important for sure um these are things that yeah just just you look at some knives and it's just two flat scales as kind of rounded over edges and it's like okay it's good to index you can feel exactly where the blade <laughs> is pointed in your hand but yeah, that's, I mean, you're only going to use that for a few minutes before you start getting blisters. And, um, and then, yes, I, I know lots of guys who make 
just kitchen knives, just hunting knives. And there's lots of different things that I found interesting between a hunting knife and a chef knife, which are very different. And I just found it interesting to kind of be able to do both, I guess, and, uh, and apply certain things from one to the other. Um, I found very interesting. So yeah, it just, it's, it's good to change it up. I'd love to do folding knives eventually. Uh, there's but that, I mean, that's a whole different world and it's like, it'd be like starting over from scratch again, trying to learn how to make a folding knife. I've been kind of playing with a few little things here and there, but it's just another one of those things that I just don't have time <laughs> to do. Unfortunately, one day for sure. Have you thought about going into more of a production situation for yourself? A little bit. Uh, I, I, I want to be very careful right now. Things are, are pretty busy and I've had, I did bring on a buddy of mine to help out and that's been really good trying to maintain that handmade aspect of it, trying not to automate too much, outsource too much, keeping it as in-house as possible and keeping that really that handmade um, quality to it is very important. So I'm, I'm trying to be very careful with that. Uh, I have actually thought about, I haven't, uh, I haven't mentioned this to anybody yet, but uh, so <laughs> this is brand new, but I have <laughs> thought about actually releasing a line that's under kind of the, Mike Jones knife and tool umbrella, but is, is a little bit different. That would just be uh, pretty automated sort of stuff. That's a little bit higher production, um, you know, water jet blanks and simpler handles, simpler sheaths, those kinds of things that are just quicker to, to manufacture. Uh, if I can, I got to feel out the market, see if it's worth doing that. Um, but it would, like I say, it would be uh, coming out of my shop, but it would just be sort of a different direction um, because, yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious about, I, I believe that a lot of my customers are really, really love that handmade sort of aspect to it. There may be the odd aesthetic defect and people seem to like that that just shows it didn't come out of a factory, that somebody's hands made that. There's no question. Um, and that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. I mean, it's one of the things that I'm, you know, looking forward to getting one of your knives from you in, in that regard for. And, uh, you know, you make a lot of good knives and a way to reach more people is to uh, create some production models. I mean, Ernie Emerson started off as a pure custom knife maker and now he's got a whole production factory that he's got. And there's, uh, there's folks like the Grimsmo brothers in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, those guys make a really beautiful high-end knife and they get about 30 to 50 knives a week out of their factory. And it's kind of semi-custom, you know what I mean? Like they've, they've got, uh, they've got aspects like the blanks that you talked about. And then they've got other aspects of it that are, uh, you know, very customized in terms of how the, uh, the handle is, uh, uh, it's got the right material, the right color, et cetera. Is there anodization on it? Yes or no. Do we want a, uh, a Damascus blade or, or just a regular blade? Or in their case, it's a Damasteel blade because they use that, that Swedish steel over there. And I just think it's, it's, it's a cool way for them to be able to get their knives out to more people. And, you know, their price point on their knives is, is, is a little bit high. It's around 925 US for the uh, Grimsmo Norseman right now. And if you're getting 30 to 50 of those out a week, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing well for sure. That's a, that's a great turnaround. Uh, I think that it's, yeah, it's uh, scary 
looking at jumping into that sort of production, making sure that you keep your demand above your um, above, above your supply, so that you've always got that. Um, it, I mean, it's one thing to flounder around and stay kind of right where you are uh, and be comfortable and happy and not grow, but it's another thing to throw a hundred grand at a shop and a bunch of tools and then not have any customers. <laughs> so it, it's, but you know, getting into something like that, my, my business has always just grown very incrementally and very slowly. And I've sure. tried to be very careful to do so that way. Um, because I don't want to just invest a ton of money and have it uh, not work out or have customers kind of a little unsure about what's going on with Mike over there and, <laughs> and bringing in a bunch of CNC machines and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know how to do that incrementally. <laughs> well, you know, you may want to talk to guys like Ernest Emerson. Uh, you may want to talk to guys like John Grimsmo and see how they did it, right? Because uh, those guys uh, have found a, made a, a way to make that work. So um, I know that uh, they both grew incrementally, but those increments add up after a while. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I, I've only been doing this, like I say, for three years full time now at yeah. this point. So, um, but I could definitely see, uh, in the future, that sort of thing would be, I mean, ideally I'd have a great big shop with a bunch of my buddies working in there, just, you know, making cool stuff and, uh, and, you know, having laughs and having a, a beer on Fridays after work and that sort of thing. Like that would be the ideal situation for me. So it'd be really cool to, to be that busy and have, uh, that many, that many guys in there just, yeah, just making cool stuff. A hundred percent. Listen, the knife buying community uh, loves their knives and they're always looking for dudes who make cool knives. I mean, in 2010, Greg Medford, Medford Knife and Tool, he started his company in 2010. And um, right now he's got a factory. It's kind of semi-custom stuff, high-end stuff. I think the cheapest thing he sells off his website is 250 bucks U.S., and the most expensive thing is a couple grand, the the, the uh, Medford Praetorian tie, which is a, a semi-custom thing. I've got one of those things. Uh, mine isn't quite as expensive as that. I mean, I, I didn't put in all the bells and whistles as some people did, but it's definitely a bit of a grail knife as far as I was concerned. Like, I got myself a Medford. Uh, and it's, it's a beautiful knife. And it's in my collection rather than out there every day, EDC in my pocket, uh, going out there and using it. Seems like a lot of your tools are tools that people are actually interested in using day to day, you know, use in the kitchen, use out there in the hunt. So, you know, be cool for you to reach more people. But hey, obviously, that's up to you. I just think it's a it's a cool thing for uh, an entrepreneur as a business person to say, hey, how do I get to the next level? Do I want to get to the next level? I think everybody would like to get to the next level. But how do I get to the next level is a great question to ask. And uh, one of the cool things about you being a guest on the show is you can go back and listen to some of my old episodes. Now you can go find uh, Ernie Emerson. I think that's number 229. And then John Grimsmo was number 171 or 172. I forget exactly which. But you can go listen to those guys and go, hey, these guys seem like they're okay. Let me reach out to them. And, and they're easy to reach out to. They'll always, they'll always respond and just say, hey, man, I was just a guest on Nikki's show, just like you guys. Hey, I, I wouldn't mind chatting with you sometime. I bet you they'd take the time. They're good dudes. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks very much. I've just sort of started 
um, peering into the world of the collector, um, the high end, mostly folder guys um, that are uh, just, you know, huge steel nerds and really love those high ends. And um, I've just kind of sort of been looking, you know, cracked the door into some of that sort of stuff. And it's amazing what, yeah, what some collectors are into. And uh, I've definitely had uh, a focus on my knives being um, useful. I've always wanted them to be, to, to be put to work. Um, uh, function foremost over fashion, but uh, I can definitely see the draw to some of those. Um, that's where I think that's where you start getting into sort of the art side versus you know the just functional tool side of things. Yeah, I got a I got a knife from a custom knife maker out of Alberta named Greg Lightfoot. I don't know if you've heard of Greg Lightfoot, but he makes some pretty beautiful artsy looking knives. And I told him I want to be able to use this man. Don't just make it fully a a uh, a beautiful piece of art. I want to be able to cut something with it and not get worried about damaging it. He says, no, 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 I'll give you something you can use. And it's useful and it's, it's gorgeous. So it's pretty cool stuff. Make sure that you're always still useful in terms of the work that you do. You know, I interviewed um, Tim Leatherman, the creator of the Leatherman multi-tool, uh, the inventor of the Leatherman multi-tool. And I was talking to him and I said, look, to me, the the tagline for a Leatherman should be be useful because to me, a Leatherman multi-tool is a useful tool. It's something that I can use all the time. In fact, I've got, I think I've got my Leatherman, one of my Leatherman multi-tools here as well. And this sucker's useful as heck. This is the Leatherman uh, free P4, right? They made this one with magnets and this sucker can just pretty much do so many things, you know, it's got a nice little, a uh, set of pliers here, needle nose. It's got it's got some wire cutters going on over here, and uh, I've got screwdrivers. I got knives. Uh, I got scissors. I got uh, serrated edge knife. I got a little mini saw. Man, this this thing's great. I love it. Be useful. Let <laughs> them a multi tool. Be useful. As as a man carrying one of these, I'm useful because I I can do stuff, and the tool's useful. Yeah. What I really like about them is, uh, you know, there's all kinds of multi-tools out there that are just junk and they're definitely focused on being quality. And I feel like they listen to their market a lot. They won't, they don't just, uh, whatever we know what we're doing, keep pumping out the same sort of thing. They'll, they will redesign completely a tool and, uh, and make it what people are actually looking for. What, what's actually, like you say, useful and, uh, and mixing up materials with, for the blades and things like that. I think it's, it's great that they're doing that sort of thing. Um, really interactive with their, their market, their community. And, uh, it's not something you see from uh, some of those huge companies. No. And, uh, Leatherman's, you know, over a hundred million dollar a year company, which in the knife world's a pretty big company. Now in the real world, that's, you know, it's a bigger company than you and I, but, not a huge company out there because there's multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, Apple right now is worth over a trillion dollars. So the, you know, those companies are definitely dwarfing Leatherman, but in the knife world and the multi-tool community, they're definitely the, uh, the 800 pound gorilla and they listen to their market. And it's pretty cool that the inventor of the multi-tool, Tim Leatherman himself, he is still involved in the company. And I think that's pretty darn cool. So love uh, I, I like that about companies when you hear about those sorts of things and um lots of different companies i can think of that i really admire uh, same thing the the, the owner is still there he's still getting his hands dirty he, he didn't you know sell it to some conglomerate and peace out they're 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 in there because 
for the same reason they started the company is because they love what they're doing. And so they just keep it up. No, it's also, it's clear you love what you're doing too, man. It's, it's, it's really cool. I'm really glad that we got to chat. Looking forward to owning a couple of your knives, man, and using them, especially a good one in the kitchen. We should, when we're done with the interview, I'm going to chat with you a bit offline. Let's figure out which one I should order. And I'd, I'd like to put that order in. My birthday's coming up. So be good to <laughs> Absolutely get, <cool. laughs> be good yeah, to get sure. myself a present. Um, uh, I'll tell you something. Uh, I really enjoy speaking to entrepreneurs like you because a, I love your product, you know, and one, one of the secrets I have about doing this show is I get to interview the people that I want to talk to because I got my show. I get to say, Hey man, would you like to come on the show? And a lot of people go, sure. I'll come on the show. Free publicity. Why not? Right. But from my perspective, I get to learn from you. So you are acting as a bit of a, a coach to me for learning about knives, learning about how to create knives, learning about how to run uh, a, a business like yours. You know, I, I've always wanted to make my own knife. I'm not interested in getting into it as a business, but, you know, like you, I, I thought it'd be pretty cool to make my own knife. I'm sure it's going to suck, but man, it's going to be a fun experience to go through. And I get to sit down here with folks like you, like Greg Medford, like um, uh, Tim Leatherman, like John Grimsmo. Uh, like Ernest Emerson and learn from you uh, folks. And it's, it's a privilege, man. So I just want you to know, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So we like to end off each and every single one of our episodes, Mike, by asking you um, as our guest expert to tell us what are your top three expert action steps? These are your best pieces of advice that you recommend my listener take on to make their life, their business, their dreams better. What do you say? Well, first of all, I say uh, it's a real honor to be on the list of uh, those names. As far as uh, three things, I mean, in knife making specifically, um, I would say, uh, like like yourself, you want to try one out. I would say everybody definitely should. If if you've got an inclination, oh, I'd really love to do that sometime. Um, do it. Just just don't don't think about like you know after this week, you know things will slow down. I'll have some after this month. You know I got a busy month. After this month, you know I'll, I'll have some time you're never going to, it's never going <laughs> to, that never happens. Just tomorrow, go out and do it. You know what I mean? Um, find a way to figure it out and you can make a knife with a vice and a file and a chunk of steel. Like you can, it doesn't take much. And, uh, so, you know, figure out a way to, and just, yeah, just, uh, don't make excuses. Don't wait till someday. Just go ahead and do it. And, you know, even in, in business and in, in general, you know, like, uh, 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 maybe if I get a little bit busier, I'll, I'll buy this tool or, or whatever, just, just go out and do it. You know, don't wait. And cause you're just going to think, well, I wish I had done that a year ago or something, you know what I mean? And that was the biggest thing. Um, when it came to that, taking that leap into full time, um, there was a lot of things that I considered, uh, pros and cons, the lists were long. And ultimately what it came down to was I didn't want to be sitting around five years down the road, 10 years down the road, uh, still thinking maybe I should try it. I didn't want to end up regretting not doing it. I didn't, if I, if I try and I fail, at least I could say, Hey, I, I gave it a shot, you know? Um, yeah, man. and so that was, that was the biggest thing. I didn't want to regret not doing it. I wanted to give, give it a try. And the biggest thing, maybe the best piece of advice that I could have to somebody considering starting their own business is, uh, don't have, don't have a plan B. 
maybe have a safety net. (laughs) I'm not saying don't have a safe, but don't have a, don't have something you can just like fall back on. Don't have a plan B, just this has to work and then you'll make it work. That's the biggest thing that I found. I I was the sole uh, source of income for our family. We had an infant under one year old. Uh, It had to work. And that, that turned, that changes your mindset and your whole focus is making it work. And then, um, you know, you're, you're, it'll, it'll work. And, you know, unless something catastrophic goes wrong, don't have a plan B and, uh, and you make plan A work. And those are, those are really great pieces of advice. Great expert action steps. Thanks, Mike. So if folks are interested in picking up one of your knives or finding out more about uh, all the amazing things that you do inside your business, what's the best way? All over social media and, uh, and my, you know, I got YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, and my website, it's all Mike Jones knife and tool. It's tried to make it easy. Uh, just yeah, search up Mike Jones knife and tool and, and you'll find me. That's awesome, man. So Mike Jones knife and tool, we're going to make sure we put that inside the show notes to the podcast. So listener, you know, you know, Nikki V is a knife nut listener. So, you know, I bring out all these great knife makers because I'm a knife fanboy. Although I don't like to call myself a fanboy. I'm a knife fan man. And so <laughs> <laughs> these folks are craftsmen. Mike Jones is a craftsman. He does something that is really taking something from him to be able to birth a, a, a a creation out into the world. And to me, that's somebody worth learning from. And whatever business you're in, you can learn from the dedication, the talent, the perseverance that it takes to take an idea, a vision in your head that you draw it on paper and then birth it into reality in the form of a beautiful knife that someone's willing to pay 200, 300, 400, 500, or even $600 for and go out there and use. I think that's an incredible thing. So listener, make sure that you go and you buy yourself a Mike Jones knife and tool kitchen knife, something you can use in your kitchen every day. And if you're a hunter, then go buy one of his hunting knives. And at the very least, go buy some of his gear, like one of his shirts and uh, make sure that you get that out there and, and put it on because, hey, if it's good enough for Joe Rogan to put on during his podcast when he interviews Elon Musk, it's good enough for you to wear when you walk around the house and put it around. I think that's a fantastic thing. I'm looking forward to getting my Mike Jones knife and tool shirt. So make sure that you do that. And secondly, this gentleman has given you a masterclass in what it takes to get past your fear and go from having a job to starting your own business. So you might be thinking to yourself, how the heck am I going to do that? Well, one of the things you can do is you can go get my book, which was written specifically for people who are in a job and want to start a business. It's called The Thought Leader's Journey. Now, you can go pick this up on Amazon and pay 25 bucks for it, or you can get it for free by going to eastcircleacademy.com forward slash TLJ book, which stands for Thought Leader's Journey book. So make sure that you go pick this up because... Maybe you can short circuit some of the mistakes Mike made on his entrepreneurial journey for yourself. You'll be able to like read about him here and it's better to learn from other people's mistakes than from your own mistakes. Trust me. Right, Mike? hundred oh, percent. That's absolutely right. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. So make sure that you do that. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, okay, you know, we don't charge for the show. We don't have any sponsors on the show. I mean, except me, I guess. I'm the sponsor of the show, but I'm also the host. So it kind of kind of cancels itself out. 
The only thing we ask of you is that if you got something for yourself out of the show, would you go and leave us a rating and a review? And would you share this with a friend or someone you know that could benefit from hearing Mike's story? Because this story deserves to be shared. We are here at the Thought Leader Revolution, champions for freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. We are standing here, stalwarts against the encroaching forces of totalitarianism and socialism. And the only way we can do that is if we get the word out to the people who need to hear the good word. So share this episode if you got value. If you didn't get value, then you don't have to share it. But if you did get value, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who needs to hear this message. And if you're becoming a knife nut because you're listening to the show, then make sure that you go pick up one of Mike's knives and, and go pick up that T-shirt of his and wear it. And, 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 and you know, maybe you sew on a little, a little patch that said, I'm wearing the same shirt as Joe Rogan. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> All right, Mike, man, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. It's been a real honor to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, sharing your story. It's been fun. Hey, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for uh, getting me out of the shop for an hour or so. Uh, You bet, brother. You bet. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Mike Jones of Mike Jones Knife and Tool, Joe Rogan's favorite hunting knife maker. Go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes or go to the show notes wherever you listen to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. Or just go find Mike Jones Knife and Tool on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or go to MikeJonesKnifeandTool.com. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. 